Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We don't always wait so well. It's the, the, the season of Advent is upon us, and that's really the focus that we've been trying to maintain throughout. We, I mean, who could blame us, really, if you think about it? We live in a world where gratification is instant. You know, we're going to have what we want right now. We don't have to wait. We're always, always moving, always looking for the next thing, always, always pursuing something. And I think patience and waiting is not something that we have, that, that we're accustomed to. But in this season of Advent, in the season that we're in, in the midst of right now, that's what it's about. It's about waiting. When Jesus, when, when Jesus came the first time, the people had been waiting for generations and generations and generations. They, they had no idea when the event was going to occur. And, and we stand in this place, in this peculiar place in history, in which we can look back and look at their experiences and consider what it was to be like them as they waited for Jesus. Because now, we're still waiting. We're not waiting for that first advent. We're not waiting for that first moment in which he stepped into history. We're waiting for his return. And each week, as, as we have walked through the weeks of Advent, and we're, we're following a little more traditional calendar this year than, than we have in the past, but each week is, is kind of overseen by a theme. It focuses on a, a certain theme of, of Advent. Our first week was hope, a, a theme of hope. And, the, and we lit the first candle. It's a prophecy candle that always looks forward, a, a, a candle that, that represents the hope that we have in our future, the confidence that we know that in Christ our future is secure. It's not a guess. It's not a, it's, not a, it's not a wishful thought. Our confidence in Christ tells us that our future is secure. That's hope. Last week, our focus was on peace. And it, peace is more about the present. It's, a, it's about the fact that our confidence in Christ, our confidence in His work on our behalf, secures us in the present secures us right now in this moment. No, no matter what the circumstances outside this room look like, no matter what the difficulties you face when you step out of this room, no matter what difficulties you faced in getting here this morning, no, no, none of those circumstances trump this. They don't, they don't govern this. Our peace resides in our confidence in the work of Christ. And it, it tells us, it, it secures us even in the presence. <clears throat> in both of these cases, Jesus Christ is the source of that. He is our hope. He is our peace. It's, it's not our, our circumstances. It's not our perspectives. It's not our abilities. It's not the way that the things that we can do or the resources that we have. We can't buy peace. We can't buy hope. We can't, we can't save up for it. We can't experience it in the moment. And not, not, not real biblical hope and not real biblical peace and then not have it the next. Our confidence in Christ provides hope and peace for us. Today, our theme is joy. And we, we lit the third candle, joy in the in a, um, is typically, traditionally, uh, represented by the pink candle. It just is a, a reminder that it's bright and it's, there's happiness involved. And there's a, 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 
a mirth. I don't know if that's a word we even use anymore. It's one I found when I was studying, and I thought, man, that's, that's a different way to... Who thinks of mirth today? I don't, but, but it's, it's different. It's, we, we need to recognize that we're not looking at joy in the sense that we're just talking about happiness. I mean, who doesn't want to be happy, right? Do you want to be happy? Yeah, we all do. It's ingrained in our culture. In fact, the, the pursuit of happiness... Even as I say that phrase, pursuit of happiness, it should ring a bell. Does it ring a bell for you? Yeah. All the way back at the founding of our country, the moment that our our forefathers signed our Declaration of Independence, declaring that we were going to be a nation of our own, we we were recognizing, we were confessing, we were proclaiming that we had the right to pursue happiness. And I think, unfortunately, really unfortunately, that pursuit, the pursuit of happiness, is really what defines us as a people today. But let me ask you a question. Do you think it's working? Are you happy? And I'm not talking about in this moment. I, I, I don't know if you can sit and watch a bunch of kids ring bells. This, I mean, there's a lot of bells up here. And sing these songs, and I don't know if you can and not feel happy in this moment. But let me just ask you, when you step out of this room today, when you, when you walk out into the world, does happiness await you? Is that, what, what, what is it that we, that we look to for happiness? What is it that, how, how is it that we typically pursue happiness? You, you wouldn't believe the number of times I counsel people who are looking for happiness in their location. Where they live, where they work, where they where 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 they go to church. They're looking for this for this happiness from from a proximity to to uh, or, or, or from a location, from a, a set of circumstances in which they live in. And, and you know, if I just run away, if I just get away, if I just get to this ne- next place, I'll be happy. If I find a church that measures up to my standard, I'll be happy. If I find another job that doesn't require me to work, I'll be happy. Because that's really why we don't like the job we have now, right? Because they expect something for the money they pay us. Who, who could imagine that? I mean, come on, really? You want me to do something? Well, that doesn't make me happy. I'll be happy. We, we, don't, just, we don't just think of it in our... I, let me just say this. Let me say this because I think it's necessary. It's, it's something I deal with people on all the time. The place you live, the place you work, the, the place you go to church, and maybe the place you go to church, there should be some, some real, <laughs> something real there. But, but the reality is, if you're unhappy in these places, when you go to the next place, you're probably still going to be unhappy. Because you're looking for your happiness in the wrong place. We, we, we don't just look for it in the places we are. We, we look for happiness in the goals we set. If I can maintain, if I can achieve this goal, if I can get to this place, if I can get this promotion, if I can get this amount of money in my bank account, if I can have this number of kids, if I can have uh, this size house, if I can achieve this American dream, if I can get this thing, if I can achieve this goal, I'll be happy. How many people came to church this morning knowing that you've got some goal for the new year? Because we're already approaching the end of the year. And this new year, this next year, I'm going I'm to get there. I'm going to achieve this goal and then I'll be happy. I'm going to accomplish this task. Then, then finally I'll be happy. 
it's not going to make you happy. But maybe for a moment. You're going to step into that reality, into that, into, into that next goal. And you're going to find that you're going to need to set another goal. And you're going to be pursuing happiness all over again. We, we even make up things. We, we create things. We, 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 we um, organize and, and design things to make us happy, to entertain us, to make us laugh. Don't we? Holidays. We happen to be approaching one. Do you think that our holiday, really, in our culture, I, I know we're sitting in church, and so you're not going to give me the... Do, do you think it's really ruled by the joy that is in Christ? Do you honestly think that? I don't. We have, we, have, we have told our culture you can be happy, you can even make people happy if you give them the right things or if you get the right things. I can tell you as a person who gives gifts, that doesn't bring a lot of happiness sometimes. When I feel pressure because I just got to get the right thing, when I feel, when I feel the weight and, and pressure, the responsibility to, to make somebody else happy because I, I need to get them the right thing, or that's a lot of pressure. So suddenly it's no longer the thought that counts, right? We like to say that. It, see, happiness, it's always this. Happiness is always faking it till you make it. Let's just put a, file on, a smile on and just act like we're happy. Oh, I love that. So grateful for it. It's not going to make you happy. It's not just holidays. We Vacations. How many of you look forward to, and this is near and dear to me, not because it's my struggle, because I hear about it a lot. How many of you are counting down to the next time you get to take time off work? I need vacation. Man, I'll be happy when I get some vacation, get some time off. I just don't know if I can make it. I used to have a friend. I don't see, I don't see her... Uh, posts on Facebook much anymore. Maybe she heard me comment on this in one of my sermons. I don't. I, I even don't even talk to her anymore, really. But she used to always post about the weekend. Monday's here. Oh, I can't wait till Friday. Oh, it's hump day. Friday's coming. That was her. I mean, her whole existence was driven and ruled by this need for her weekend. I'll be happy when the weekend gets here. YouTube. You think that exists? Simply. As a as a as a um, as a tool, so that people can have their fifteen minutes of fame. YouTube exists because people thought they'd be happy if they had enough money, and they, it's a it's a capitalistic venture to be happy by getting a lot of money. I want to be happy, so I'm going to start this thing. I think it'll make a lot of money, and I'll be able to buy a lot of stuff, and I'll have a lot of things in my house, and I'll have a, a, a bunch of nice cars in my garage. But, but it works because we want to be happy. Don't tell me you haven't seen Charlie bit my finger. You've seen it, haven't you? I think that that's, if, if I remember right, that's the most viewed non-musical video ever. If you haven't seen it, well, go watch it. It'll make you laugh. It will make you laugh. It will. Or what about this? Or this is a new one. This is one of my favorites. What does the fox say? Who, who knows exactly what the fox says now because of, of the YouTube video? What does the fox say? What's it say? No, 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 not, not you, Nicholas. Behind, behind Nicholas. What does it say? 
was, man, I've been wanting to do that all week. I've been thinking about this moment. What does the fox say? If you haven't seen it, it'll make you laugh. Go watch it. Hey, but but we do. Right, let me tell. You, let me let me ask this. You know, programming on television. What's it, what, what do you think the motive is for programmers? They, they want to they make you feel good about what you're doing so that you keep watching, so that they keep lining their pockets. It's all about people striving and pursuing this happiness. Every, every piece of it, even the comedies we watch, whether, whether it's a comedy or whether it's one of those hour-long dramas, there's moments that, that make us feel happy. And they, they bring us through these ebbs and flows. It's like, oh, this tension, and all of a sudden, oh, everything's all right. I feel so happy and got these tears of joy. That's what they do. Because we're pursuing happiness. But the shows end. You know, Ellen's only on for an hour a day. You can only laugh at Ellen DeGeneres for about an hour a day. And reality sets back in. You know, we do something that's really unfair when we pursue happiness. We don't just look for it in the circumstances of life, in our location, in our proximity. We don't look for it in our goals. We look for it in one another. The very people sitting in this room expect you to make them happy. And you expect them to make you happy. And it hurts when they don't, doesn't it? See, the, the problem there is we're looking to be made happy from all the wrong places. This is not the happiness that the psalmist promised. This is not the happiness that God has for you. He doesn't long for you to know happiness in circumstances. He doesn't long for you to know moment by just moments of happiness along your life. He wants you to know a joy that bubbles up within you. He wants you to know a joy that's consistent, that's not determined by your circumstance. You see, joy, at least biblical joy, it's, it's the abundant happiness that results from knowing and being known by Jesus. Happy sometimes, happy eventually. These aren't, not, these, these aren't what He has for you. These aren't what He longs for you. And in many ways, it's our responsibility now. It's not what He's given to you in Christ, that's for sure. But in many ways, it's now our responsibility to appropriate the gift He's given us. It's ours to take it, to receive it, and to apply it, to do something with it. And that's exactly what the psalmist tells us. The psalmist tells us how to know happiness, and not just happiness in circumstances, but the happiness, the joy that God has for us in Christ. And so we're going to look at that psalm, and there's three principles that I just want to break out over that um, and, and just allow you to just deal with and think about and consider as we, as we stand in this place where we are waiting on our Savior. He wants you to wait joyfully. This is how you do it. Psalm 1 gives us the, the instruction for it. Number one, joy is not the fruit of the pursuit of happiness, but is the byproduct of delighting in the Lord. Let me say it again. Joy is not the fruit of the pursuit of happiness, but is the byproduct of delighting in the Lord. If happiness is your goal and you set out every day, if your goal in the morning when you wake up is Oh, I'm going to go out and be happy today. 
you, you probably, you might make it along the way, but once you get it, you're in danger of losing it. There may be some days you find it, but it's not going to be every day. But look at what the psalmist wrote. In the very first phrase in the psalm, he says this, Blessed is the man. Now, we're going to stop there. We're going to look at that because that word blessed in the Hebrew really is a word that could just as easily be translated and is translated exceedingly happy. That means happy, 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 as Phil Robertson would say. Happy, happy, happy is the man. That what? That does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, that doesn't stand in the way of sinners, or does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, we're going to stop there. We're going to look at this law of the Lord. Immediately, I want you to see two things. First, I want you to see that the word Lord is capitalized. And what that means is that 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 is Yahweh. That's the Hebrew name or the Jewish name of God. It's the national name that he gave himself. He told them, this is who I am. This is who you're to call me. I I want you to know this. And so the English, the translators in English Bibles, at least, when they come across this word in the Hebrew, they always capitalize it so that you know that this is God. Okay, so this is God, the law of God. And what's it mean about the law? Because in our minds, especially in church, we oftentimes, when we're reading from the Old Testament, automatically assume that it's referring to the Mosaic Law. So you mean, if I obey the Mosaic Law, I'll be happy. No, that's not what it says. The word, or what he's referencing, what he's talking about, is it has a broader meaning. It's referring to God's decrees. Yes, it's the, it's the things that he's always said would be and should be. It's determined, it's, it's referring to God's ways. It's referring to God's design. And it's referring to the doctrines of God. So if God designs you to be a man and God designs someone else to be a woman, He's got a design for you. And He longs for you to know that design. And He longs for you to live in that design and He knows that you will be happiest when you live in that way. God God wants for you to know how it is that you should know Him. How it is that you can walk with Him in relationship. How it is that you can come to Him and be bold in 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 the throne room. He wants you to know these things. And He set out a way for you to do that. In fact, we just sang a song. We closed out the worship service with this song proclaiming all the things that we believe. And all those things we believe give us access to God. He wants you to know that. But whose, whose decision is it? Whose decree is it? Whose way is it? Whose teaching is that? It's God's. It belongs to Him. He wants us to understand this. And so what the intention here is, as, as this psalmist writes about happy, happy, happy is the man that delights in the law of the Lord. What he's saying is happy, happy, happy is the man who's not just delighting in, in the teaching alone, but he's delighting in all the things of God, in God himself. So you delight in his teaching and it leads you to a place where you are overwhelmed and delighting and, and, and finding pleasure in knowing him. See, our founding fathers, they may have gotten it right. They may have gotten it right that we are that we have the right from God to pursue happiness. They may have gotten it right there, but if they thought if they thought that the way we would find happiness was through the pursuit of happiness, they were mistaken. And since they're not here, I can't ask them. I can't know if that was their motive or their intention in those words. 
But I can tell you that the Bible tells us that, that we will never find happiness. We will never find joy. Nowhere in these words does the psalmist say, go out and pursue happiness. But he does say, happy, happy, happy is the man who delights in the Lord. That's where you're going to find your happiness. That's where you're going to find this joy that I'm, that I'm talking about, that the season is about. And we, we walk around talking about joy in the season. It's a word that gets used a lot in the, in the season of Christmas. But we're not going to find that joy in a gift. We're not going to find that joy in a holiday. We're not going to find that joy in a person other than Jesus Christ. Because it's through Jesus that we know God. It's through Jesus. Or it's about Jesus that all the doctrines of God point to. See, joy results when we set aside the pursuit of happiness for the pursuit of Jesus. It's just a natural thing that occurs. It's not, it's not like you have to plan for this. It's not like, okay, I want happiness, so I'm going to pursue Jesus. Then you're not really pursuing Jesus. Well, I want to be happy. So that means I just start acting like a Christian should, should right? If I, if I can just go to church, read my Bible, and, and do all these things, then I'll just be happy. No. You're, you're pursuing happiness. Pursue Jesus for who Jesus is. Follow and walk with Him because of who He is, not because of what He can give you. God's way, His decrees, His, His determinations are that we can only know Him when we understand His doctrines, when we know Jesus. How, how do we get to know that? How do we get to know Jesus? How do we get to know His doctrine? Study of His Word. God, God has determined that, that we'll know Jesus not by our experiences first or by pop culture's perspectives of Him, but by studying the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's all pointing us to God's mission of redemption and restoration through Jesus. And we pursue Jesus not by doing more stuff, but by believing Him more intently, more sincerely. Growing faith in Jesus will lead us to great obedience, and it's going to give way to great joy. But if you switch that around, if you swap that, and you begin obeying and working so that you can have this joy, and Jesus is really just a, a name that you use in the place of joy, then you're going to miss the whole thing. You're going to miss it all. If you want joy, set down the pursuit of happiness. If you want to know a happiness that, that's not based on your circumstances, that doesn't depend on your proximity, that doesn't depend first on your circumstances or your relationships, if you want to know this joy, quit chasing happiness and begin trusting Jesus. That's the way we find joy. And that's exactly what the psalmist is telling us. That's exactly what he wants us to understand Joy does not find its, its source. Joy does not result when we pursue happiness, but when we pursue Jesus. The second point, joy does not find its source in external influence, but wells up from within as we live in Christ. The, the first thing that the, that the psalmist says, as he said, as he breaks out of this, blessed is the man, he gives us this list of instructions not to do. He gives us these three stations that we shouldn't walk in that we shouldn't live in. He says first that we shouldn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does that mean? It means you shouldn't allow yourself to be influenced by things that are wicked. 
Don't take the advice of, of the world. You know, we live in a world that we are constantly bombarded by information and influence. Constantly. You can't turn on your radio. You can't, you can't, um, you can't even watch a commercial without receiving someone's perspective on how life should be. You listen, and it doesn't matter. I mean, we try to act like we can overcome this, but we're bigger than this and better than this. But they call subliminal messages work for a reason. Because even if you're not paying close attention, if you listen to enough of it, it will influence you. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. Being influenced by the perspectives of the world. Instead of being influenced by... God's perspective, by God's decree, by God's ways, by and, and being influenced by what God has done. Well, let's just let's just think about this. I think it's one of the most dangerous places, one of the most dangerous things for us as Christians today. And we live in a time, like I said, we 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 have it all around us. The average American citizen, you realize, the average American citizen watches thirty-four hours of television a week. Thirty-four hours of television a week. Are you average? I hope not. I'm not saying don't watch television. I'm not saying never watch television. I'm just saying, eh, there's a lot of influence there. How long do you think the average American spends reading the Scripture? We're lucky if we can get Christians today to read five minutes a day, which amounts to about 35 minutes a week. What do you think is going to influence you the most? You know the songs we listen to on radio, and I'm not telling you that you shouldn't listen to secular radio. I enjoy listening to 97.3 at times. I enjoy listening to, to, I mean, I I, I used to listen to Pink Floyd and all kinds of stuff. I still enjoy that from time to time, just to to hear it. The music's good, and I can still sing all those those words. And and even if they're not necessarily, I'm not going to sit and sing a bunch of stuff that's against God, but they're not necessarily going against Him. The reality is, I can sit and sing those things. I'm not saying that you never that you only have your radio program to 88.3 or 90, 99.5, but, but do you realize that even as you're listening to those songs, if that's all you ever hear, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause you to think a certain way. How about the political propaganda that you listen to? Do you listen to talk radio? Any of you listen to NPR uh, 90.1? You think that doesn't have an influence on you? What are your political views and why do you hold them? Because, uh, I don't know, name somebody, Bill. Glenn Beck. All right, Glenn Beck. That's a good one in Christian culture. Glenn Beck! That Mormon, he knows what I need to be thinking about my president. He's got the answers for me. It influences us. This is dangerous. We live in an information-soaked society. And the psalmist is telling us, if we want to know happiness, we got to turn it off. I'm not saying you don't ever turn it on, but you need to figure out what the right amount of time is that you can be in it. And it not be influencing you. Some of us are struggling in life, not because God hasn't given us joy, but because we're not walking in the influence of God. We're walking in the counsel of the wicked. You want to know joy? Turn the junk off. Man, I want to say something else about it, but turn it off. 
And it's not good. Pick up your Bible. Spend some time with Christian friends who are in the Bible, who love Jesus, who want the best for you, who aren't looking at it for selfish perspective and aren't expecting you to make them happy, but they're made happy in Christ. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing when two people who have no real expectations of one another come together just to serve one another. I don't need from you. I want to give this to you. I want, I, I don't need you to fulfill something in me. I have Jesus. And I come to you not, not to take, but to give. Who do you do that for? Who does that for you? Man, you want to know happiness? Turn it off. Quit letting the world influence you. Quit thinking that that's going to make you happy. Another 30-minute sitcom is not going to do it. And, 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 and don't hear me judging or condemning you. I, I, I watched a couple hours of, of uh, Last Man Standing at, at a time. It's a 30-minute show. It's 20 minutes on Netflix. And once you watch one, boy, it's so easy to watch the next one, right? But the Bible doesn't promise us happiness but in one place, and that's in delighting in the Lord. And He says you're not going to find it in the counsel of the wicked. Quit allowing yourself to be influenced. And the second station He goes to, the second place He moves to, it kind of builds on the first one. He says, standing in the way of sinners. First you have walking in the counsel of wicked, of the wicked. So you're hearing their advice, you're listening to their advice, and, and it's like you, oh, Oprah Winfrey, she said this good thing one time, and, and that just changed my life. Just because Oprah says Jesus once in a while doesn't mean she's got good advice for you. Right? Standing in the way of sinners, that all of a sudden, what this is, is it, it goes from just hearing the counsel and beginning to take it. Standing in the way of sinners means that it's changing the way you think and believe. Pop culture, right now, pop culture's big, big emphasis, you can see it in every, about every television show that comes on, is that we should be accepting of all alternative lifestyles. Every show, every show, that is their emphasis right now, and they're putting it in every one, as if, as if all Americans live this way. You realize that homosexuality really only affects about 6% of the population? Do you think that's the majority of Americans? Six percent, but it's being promoted in our in, in in our television shows and in media as if it is the biggest thing, and it's become it's become our this generation's uh, the flag for them to wave. And you know what happens, especially the younger folks as they come up and they're influenced by this stuff. Suddenly, even as Christians, you're no longer considering homosexuality a sin, but just something that should be expected. And you're expecting God to just accept people the way they are. Oh, He does. But He doesn't leave you that way, does He? He calls you out of a life of sin. And such that even as I stand here and say these things and, and talk about this one subject, that there very, very, very well may be people sitting in this room who disagree with me, not because of what the Bible says, but because of what they decided based on the influence of our culture. I pity you just to be honest. God doesn't want you to have that. He doesn't want you riddled by that influence. He knows it will only lead to your destruction, but He longs for your happiness. 
You see, we, we walk in the counsel of sinners and we hear and take the advice. We stand in the place of sinners beginning to think and act like them. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if your perspectives, opinions, and attitude mirror those of non-Christians, you might ask yourself why. God saved you. And when we talk about salvation, we also have to talk about conversion. That's the biblical perspective of salvation. When you get saved, you get converted. That means you've been made new. The New Testament perspective of that is that the old has gone and the new, excuse me, the new has come. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, and if you're with us next year, you're going to hear what we'll get there. Uh, he says to put on the new self. There's a sense that we have to actively appropriate the work of God within us. We have to do something with us. You should look different. If you look, smell, taste, act like the world, you, you, you got something wrong with you. You've not got enough Jesus, that's for sure. So it doesn't make us better. It's not the intent. That's not why I'm saying this. It doesn't make us better. It makes us different. It means that we have been changed by our Creator. But if your life doesn't look any different than non-believers, you need to spend less time under the world's influence and more time under God's. If you're going to know happiness, this is the only way you're going to know it. And then the third station he refers, he says, seated in the seat of scoffers. It's this third step. And, and the psalmist refers to it when the council has taken hold completely. When, when you have become a person who has heard the council, who has begun to think and believe the council, then all of a sudden, you're not just being influenced by it, but you're beginning to influence others with it. So that thing that you heard Oprah say that changed your life, that made you feel so good about your circumstances and situations, all of a sudden it's not just good for you, it's good for others. And so hey, you, my friend's in trouble. Rather than coming to them with Scripture, let me tell you what Oprah said. And I'm not just trying to pick on Oprah. I mean, I, I guess I am. I like to pick on Oprah. But there's all kinds of them out there. How about Benny Hinn? That's another one, boy. There's people that flock to TBN to see Benny Hinn. Don't go to, they don't go to people with Benny Hinn. That's not going to help them. Oh, but man, he does such wonderful things. You better get to know Benny Hinn. There's teachers like that everywhere. There's people like that striving to build influence everywhere. It's not as crazy as Benny Hinn. Some of them are accepted in, in, in our circles. It's disappointing. The people can tell us, God wants us to have our best life now. Joel Osteen. God wants you to have your best life now. And then not explain to you that your best life is not to come until Jesus returns. But don't mistake that by believing that God doesn't want you to be happy in the midst of this. Your happiness, though, is not determined by the circumstances of your life. It's not determined by the, rela the relationships that you have. It's not determined by the proximity or your location. Man, when we get seated in the seat of scoffers, we're the ones beginning to mislead. Like Oprah. Like Benny Hinn. Like Joel Osteen. And like so many others out there that would come with worldly wisdom instead of godly influence. And let me tell you, the psalmist writes these things down. He, he points out these things because these influences rob our joy. 
If you don't have joy today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe the things that he's done for you and you don't have joy, it's not because you don't, uh, it's not available to you. It's not because God has failed you, but it's because you are in some way walking in the counsel of the wicked, in some way standing in the way of sinners, in some way you are sitting in the seat of scoffers. See, joy is the natural result of walking in the counsel of God's Spirit. The inverse, you see, is true. Joy is the natural result of the counsel of God's Spirit. Joy is the natural result of standing on the rock that is Jesus. Joy is the natural result of being seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. You see, we could read this verse in the inverse. We could say, happy, happy, happy is the man that, that walks in the counsel of the Holy Spirit, it, that, that stands in the way of Jesus, that sits in, in, in the Father's presence with Christ. That's the source of joy. And it naturally occurs when that's the pursuit of our life. When God is preeminent and not some pastime, when He consumes our reason for being, we will be surprised by the joy that wells up within us, even in the face of the difficulties of this world. You know how I know? Because that's my testimony. And the sad truth is, I didn't even recognize it until this very moment of standing here in front of you. And I, I went through some junk in my life. I'm not going to give you all the details, but I pursued happiness in a lot of places, and I was let down over and over and over and over again. And every time I thought I'd, uh, I'd arrived and I was going to be happy, and now I could be happy those things would crumble and fall. You see, I know this to be true because God has proven it to be true as He's shown up in the midst of my life, in the midst of all the difficulty, in the midst of all the junk, in the midst of of all the pain and the suffering. I was surprised by joy because my Savior showed Himself true. And I stood up and I got out of the seat of scoffers and I... I, I, I walked away from the way of sinners. And I quit listening to the counsel of the world. You know how you'll know it's true? When you get up and do the same thing. When that becomes the focus of your life. When you no longer think that the bank account that the person, that the circumstance, that the location, that, that anything in this world will give it to you. And all you can do is turn and run to Jesus. When you give up your pursuit of happiness for the pursuit of Christ, you will be surprised by joy. Let me give you one last point just real quickly. So joy will not falter in the face of adversity but in Christ will be sustained through all seasons. Verse 3 says this, this, this happy man, this man who is exceedingly happy, who's not walking in that way, who's not sitting in the seat of sinners, who's not uh, sitting in the seat of scoffers, who's not standing in the way of, of, of sinners, this man who delights in the law of the Lord, this man who meditates on Jesus day and night, who, who, who Jesus has become preeminent to, This man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Listen. Jesus, Jesus doesn't remove the circumstance 
But Jesus sustains you so that you can endure the circumstance with joy. You see, this is a tree that endures the seasons. It endures the storms of the spring. It's able to endure the drought of the summer. It's able to endure the dormancy of the fall. And it's able to endure and last through the freezing winter. And its leaf does not wither because it is planted by the stream. The living water that comes from the stream is able to sustain it and give it life all day, all month, all year for all of life. You see, the tree is not removed from the seasons, but the tree is sustained in all of its seasons. That's why when Paul talks about it, we're crushed, but not destroyed. It's why he can say, rejoice in the midst of your suffering. It's why why we can we don't have to put on a happy face all the time. It's why we don't have to always act like... Um, the person that always comes to mind is Ned Flanders. I don't know why. Ned Flanders or hidey-ho, you know... A diddly-do. I don't know what he says. It's been too long. But in the midst of that, in the midst of all that goes on in this world, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the, the difficulty, we will be sustained. I sat with a man this week. He came in off the street. I was here and walked in and it's like, hey, how can I how can I help you? What can I do for you? And he began to just share his story. His life was falling apart. Claimed to be a Christian. Gave me his story. He had a, a working knowledge of the Bible. But you know how he decided that his life was falling apart? Because suddenly he didn't have enough money. He'd lost his kids. His wife had cheated on him. It sounds pretty difficult. And he didn't know in a couple of weeks if he was going to have a place to live. That's pretty difficult. That's a difficult circumstance. And you know what he determined in the midst of that circumstance? Even as a believer in Jesus Christ, he had determined that God had forgotten him, that God had, didn't care about him, that he wasn't loved. So I sat with him for a couple of hours, ended up taking him, getting him a tank of gas and um, buying a couple of hot dogs at the gas station. But I sat and talked with him, and the one thing I'm, I encourage him to do is that I think the very thing that the psalmist wants us to be. I think the psalmist wants us no longer to define our, our joy or our happiness by the circumstances which, within, within which we find ourselves, our physical, practical circumstances, and first learn, learn to trust Jesus regardless of the circumstances. You see, when we begin to do that, when we begin to, to look at Christ and look at the cross and look at His first coming and knowing that He's coming again, when the hope and the confidence in our future and the peace that's confidence in our present begin to rule in our heart because our faith is so strong, this joy will be able to bubble up within us that's not bound to the circumstances of life. Does that mean that you're always going to have your wants fulfilled? Does that mean you're going to get a fat bank account? Does that mean you're not going to find struggles every day? Nope, it doesn't. But what it does promise you is that you can have joy in spite of the season. See, God never promised us an easy life. But His Word, the psalmist here, does promise joy even in the midst of the storm when He's our delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. Another psalm that points us to pursuing him and receiving the natural gift that comes in that pursuit. Our happiness, our great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his goodness, for his provision, for his power. We thank you for the promises, God, that you've given us and the certainty that we can place on them because we've seen what you've done, what you continue to do, and we can count on what you're going to do. But God, would you, in this moment, in this season, Father, draw us back from all that the world tries to set in front of us that glimmers and shimmers and shines in front of us in this moment and remind us that you put on flesh Jesus and dwelt among us that we might have access to your Father, now our Father. Would you please remind us that our happiness is in you. That our joy, this, this, this abundance of happiness is in being known and knowing you. Being known by and knowing you. Father, I pray that in this moment, I know that I know that there's people that are struggling in this room. I know that there's there's difficulties that they face. There's questions and concerns in their hearts, and I know that that, that, that there's not a person in this room that's completely in control of any of their circumstances or situations. I'm asking God, would you would you let them know in this moment? Would you would you through your Spirit show up in their hearts and 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 prove to them, show to them? your power and your presence and your protection. Prove to them, show to them the height and depth and breadth of your love for them. That they might walk in joy and that they may wait joyfully. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week.